Good morning, folks. Uh, welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us this morning, and thank you to the folks online for joining us. Uh, here at East LJ Baptist, we are captivated by Christ. In Jesus, we have seen and can't unsee the glory of God and the grace of God given through the life, death, and resurrection and ongoing reign of Jesus, our Lord. He has captivated us. We exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ to the world. It's our prayer that you will see and embrace the beauty of Christ that we enjoy and, fi uh, and find yourself captivated by him as well. So just want to say thank you and good morning and welcome to East LJ. Thank you, Travis. Good morning. All right, y'all are actually alive this morning. That's good. Beautiful day. A little, little breeze got you going, didn't it? Uh, I want to give a quick thank you, shout out to Miss Lynn Harrington for helping me this morning uh, set up our communion table. So you guys express your appreciation to her for serving us that way. Thank you, Lynn, for being willing to help us out um, and so many others that uh, work behind the scenes. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word, Luke chapter 18. This will be our text for the morning, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. Luke tells us, And a ruler asked him, that is Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many, more many, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Aren't you thankful today that you know the Lord Jesus, that you have entered by his grace the kingdom of God, that God has done the impossible humanly speaking, in your life, and he has resurrected the dead. He's given spiritual life to an otherwise dead heart. Aren't you thankful for that today? And aren't you thankful that you know Jesus as the world's greatest treasure? Uh, I'm so thankful that God has been gracious to us in that way. But, you know, you know people. You have friends. you got family members, co-workers that have yet to come to know Jesus as the treasure of their heart. And the nations, people on the other side of the world, uh, so many who've, who've even, not even yet, even heard the name of Jesus. 
Uh, I want us to pray this morning for uh, an unreached people group. Uh, we could say they're barely reached. Uh, the Karenchi people of Bahrain. This is an Indonesian people group that migrated to the Middle East. There's about 27,000 of these folks with only 1% of them believers. So out of 27,270 believers. Maybe a way to compare that would be Gilmer County with one church. And pretty much you, as a church, you would have the responsibility for the whole county. That's kind of the, the scenario with this people group. So let's pray for the Karenchi people as we also pray for your neighbors and some others as we go to the Lord now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Thank you, Father, that you gave us your son. There is no greater treasure. And Father, my prayer is that day by day you would wean our hearts off of the lesser treasures of this world. Off of the counterfeit treasures and pleasures of this world. That you would break our heart's love for idols, whatever it is that we put in the place of Christ. And God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our neighbors, those that are close to us, that we know that need Jesus, that you would, Lord, help us to communicate clearly to them that the God who created all things, no matter how far in sin they've gone, no matter how long they've stayed, Lord, just like you did in my heart, you can give life where there's nothing but death. Lord, you can completely cleanse and forgive and make righteous in your sight because Jesus was and is our righteousness. He lived and died in our place. And he rose again. And he's a more than able Savior. Father, I pray that, to, that you'd help us to communicate that message to our neighbors. And Father, we pray for the small church among the Carinchi of Bahrain, Lord, that you would make them bold. Make our brothers and sisters there bold with the gospel and spread the word and grow your church in that place. Father, this morning we also lift up uh, a number who uh, are either grieving or are sick today. We pray for Marianne Hasty and her family as they grieve. Father, we continue to pray uh, and thank you for um, good results from sur in surgery from, for Jacob Powell. We pray for uh, ongoing healing for his ankle. Lord, thank you for a good report on Lori Connor, and we pray, continue to pray for her recovery. Lord, we lift up Sandy Finley, who will be going to a cardiologist on Thursday, and just pray that you give the doctor wisdom as to how to help her and, and, and remedy some of the issues she's dealing with. Lord, this morning we pray for a um, number of COVID patients and, and all of our health care workers that are working to care for them. Father, thank you for each person in this room. Lord, you know exactly what's going on in each of our hearts. You see the depths of our heart right now. You know what we're thinking, you know what we're feeling, you know what we've been dealing with this week. You know what we're anxious about today and as we look forward to, to another week. And so, Father, I pray that during this time, even as we worship you in song and, and prayer and through the word, God, that you would speak.
as only you can into each of our hearts. We thank you in advance. Lord, we pray that you would exalt Christ because we know that when Christ is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. Lord, we know that when Christ is exalted, when we exalt him, we find in our hearts our greatest and fullest satisfaction. And Father, you are glorified. Make that to be true in this room, in our hearts. Today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you joined us this morning. Let's sing together. We're going to do Everlasting God.
sing as Leslie leads us in this next song.
sadness forever you've been come broken hearted let the rescue begin come find your mercy oh, sinner come kneel earth has no soul heaven can't heal so lay down your burdens lay down your shame all who are broken lift up your face wonder come oh you're not too far so lay down your
Father, thank you. You can be seated. For the gospel, Lord, that calls us to come as we are because there's nothing we can do to change or fix ourselves. There's nothing we can do to undo or pay for our sin. Coming to you and being made right with you is impossible for us. But thank you that because of Jesus, you draw us to yourself. By the power of your Spirit, you give life where there's nothing but death. So that we are free to come as we are, admitting our sin, confessing before you our need for grace as a gift. Father, I pray for some under the sound of my voice this morning who need to come as they are for the first time, to meet Jesus today, to trust him to rest in Him as their Savior, even as they follow Him as Lord. So God, we pray You would do that. That You would work another resurrection miracle in hearts today. But Lord, I pray for my heart, I pray for your people. Because Lord, in this passage today, you call us out into deeper waters. You call us to follow you radically. Which is really the only way. Give us ears to hear. And through your word and by your spirit, Lord, transform our lives. For you are worthy. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, may the result of our time today be bolder, more courageous, riskier lives for the advance of the gospel. Truly, there's no greater cause for which to live. And when it's all said and done, only what's done for Christ will last. Speak to your people today, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they're making their way out, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke Chapter 18. We'll be looking at Luke 18, verses 18 to 30 in just a few minutes. The book, Flag of Our Flags of Our Fathers 
is the story of the Battle of Iwo Jima and the lives of the six flag raisers pictured in the famous Iwo, Iwo Jima Memorial. And this is the story t- as told by the son of one of those six men, author James Bradley. One man's story that's included in this book is that of Jacqueline Lewis. Hear his story as the author tells it. He'd fast-talked his way into the Marines at 14, fooling the recruits with his muscled physique. Assigned to drive a truck in Hawaii, he had grown frustrated because he wanted to fight. He stowed away on a transport out of Honolulu, surviving on food passed along to him by sympathetic leathernecks on board. He landed on D-Day at Iwo Jima without a rifle. He grabbed one lying on the beach and fought his way inland. Jack and three comrades were crawling through a trench when eight Japanese sprang in front of them. Jack shot one of them through the head, then his rifle jammed. As he struggled with it, a grenade landed at his feet. He yelled a warning to the others and rammed the grenade into the soft ash, and immediately another grenade rolled in. Jack Lucas, 17 now, fell on both grenades. Luke, you're going to die, he remembered thinking. Aboard the hospital ship Samaritan, the doctors could scarcely believe it. One of them said maybe he was too young and too tough to die. Jack Lewis endured 21 reconstructive operations and became the nation's youngest Medal of Honor winner and the only high school freshman to ever receive it. I'm so thankful for our veterans that have made such sacrifice in the past so that you and I can live freely and even gather here in this room today and worship freely today. Amen? Well, all our veterans, please stand so we can just thank you this morning. We do thank you. You know, freedom and democracy in America are precious treasures worth sacrificing for, and freedom is never free. In our text for this morning, we hear Jesus telling us about a freedom and a kingdom that is even more valuable and more precious than the freedom and democracy we enjoy here in America because it is about the eternal kingdom of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. John Piper says, The greatest cause in the world is joyfully rescuing people from hell, meeting their earthly needs, making them glad in God, and doing it with a kind, serious pleasure that makes Christ look like the treasure that He is. No war on earth was ever fought for a greater cause or a greater king. You see, this kingdom around which we gather every Sunday, this kingdom is worth bold risks and daring sacrifices to get the gospel to those who have yet 
to hear it. Can I just go ahead and give you the punchline? There ought to be Jack Lewis's of the church. Lucas's of the church. Amen? There ought to be young people clamoring to serve the king on the edge of the battle for the everlasting souls of men, women, boys, and girls the world over. The question is, are we willing to boldly risk and lay it all down to know Jesus and make him known? I want to talk to you this morning from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, about the man who almost... Had it all. If you have our uh, app on your phone, you can open that up, scroll to the bottom. You'll see something that says notes there. Uh, you'll find the sermon notes with the text and, 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 and the outline there. The man who almost had it all. Here's the truth I want you to take home from this story before we read the text again. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying in a nutshell in our passage about the man who almost had it all and, and the truth that he's communicating to you and I. Following Jesus means treasuring him so supremely that you gladly surrender all you are and all you have to him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? According to Jesus, following Jesus means treasuring him so supremely that you gladly surrender all you are and all you have to him. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The point of this story is very simply this. Following Jesus means treasuring him so supremely that you gladly surrender all you are and all you have to him. So let's just walk through it. First of all, in verse 18, notice a seeming sincerity. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if we were to flip back to Mark's account of this same story, in, in Mark 10, verse 17, it, it, it reads this way, And as he was setting out on his journey, that is Jesus, a man, Luke tells us a ruler, Mark says, ran up and knelt before him. So he doesn't just ask him, he runs up and asks him. He runs up, kneels down before Jesus and asks him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, by all indications, this is a seeming sincerity, isn't it? 
he looks and sounds like he's serious about wanting eternal life in Jesus, doesn't he? Hello, y'all out there? All right, stay with me. Got to have some communication this morning. A seeming sincerity. He ran up, he knelt down, and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? I mean, let me just tell you what would happen in any American church if that happened. We'd be all about it, amen? I mean, I mean, we design our services for that stuff, right? We have an invitation where people can come and kneel. And we pray they cry out for eternal life. Well, he did it all. He ran. I mean, just imagine it. At the end of the service, if somebody runs down this aisle, drops to their knees, and cries out, what must I do to be saved? Every preacher of the gospel's dream, every believer's dream, every church's hope, a seeming sincerity. But Jesus is not easily fooled. And he begins to expose this young ruler's heart because there is this seeming sincerity. Notice, secondly, verse 19, a clarifying confrontation. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Remember, he said, good teacher. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus is not easily fooled, and he's not easily impressed or flattered here. You see, in that day, no one addressed rabbis as good teacher. You just called them rabbi or teacher. You didn't call them good teacher because good was, refer- was reserved for God and for God alone. And so Jesus is just reminding him, hey, wait wait a minute. That, this thing you're doing right here, well, what's going on with that? Because... That's only you only you only you only call God good. And so the question here is: is this a profession of faith in Jesus as God's Son, as God incarnate, as God's Messiah, or is it just flowery, flowery, flattery? It's meant to butter Jesus up for a quick endorsement of the life this young ruler was already living. And by the way, as we'll see, intended to continue to live and just add Jesus on top, kind of like the cherry on top. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Sir, do you really believe that I'm God incarnate? That's what Jesus is asking here. Because if you really believe I'm God, and I am, then here's what's fixing to happen in our conversation. You're going to do exactly what I ask you to do because I'm God and you're not. So if you really mean what you're saying when you call me good teacher, that basically you know I'm God, the Messiah sent from God, then you'll do exactly what I say because that's what happens when you know who God is, right? Like, you let him be God. And so Jesus is basically saying here, Let's, let's see what's really going on in your heart. So a clarifying confrontation. Where are you at? Thirdly, verse 20, that leads to an exposing examination in verse 20. He says to this young man, you know the commandments. Okay, let's, let's just see. Let's, let's just see exactly where you are. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Over in Matthew's account of this, Matthew 19, verse 19, there it's added in the text, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of the final 
command included. And so, basically, here in Luke, Jesus lists off five of the Ten Commandments that have to do with how we relate to and love other people, right? Some of the commandments are about our relationship to God. The others are about our relationship to man. By the way, all that goes together with what Jesus said. The greatest commandments love God with all your heart. The, the, the second greatest commandments love your neighbor as yourself. First John says if you love God, you'll love your neighbor. You can't say you love God and hate your neighbor. Your proof of your love of God will be love for your neighbor. It all goes together. Jesus lists off these five commandments about how we relate to and love other people. And in doing so, Jesus is essentially saying and asking or the question, how do you stack up, sir, when it comes to loving others? Because you see, how you love others reveals whether you really understand God's love for you. It tells you a lot. Again, 1 John, you say you love God but hate your neighbor, you're a liar, 1 John says. It's just not true. You can't say you love God and not love other people. An exposing examination. You know the commandments. So how do you inherit eternal life? Well, just, just do what God says. You know what this guy answers in verse 21? All these I have kept from my youth. Really? Really? Well, see, here's what's crazy about this story. I, I think this young ruler really believed that he had kept all these commands. I think he sincerely believed that he'd kept all these commands because on the surface, externally, he had probably never physically cheated on his wife and committed adultery. He had probably never killed anyone, like actually murdered someone. He'd probably never even stolen something, actually gone and taken something from someone that wasn't his. Probably never intentionally, intentionally lied about someone. And probably at least outwardly, he'd always respected his parents. So I think in his mind, he was convinced that he had actually kept these commandments. But the problem is Matthew 5. The problem is Jesus teaching that to lust in your heart is what? Adultery. That to be angry and hate your brother is what? To murder him. And by implication, we could continue down the list. We've all unintentionally at least lied about someone to make ourselves look good, haven't we? And who can say that they've never in their heart felt and thought disrespectfully about their parents. You, 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 got, you got all the way through teenage years and you never had the, most, the least disrespectful. Yeah, you're laughing because that, I mean, what a joke, right? And if you've got teenagers now, it's even more of a joke, right? It's, it's not funny anymore, right? <laughs> it's funny to your dad or your mom. But what's crazy is that though Jesus could have pretty much stopped and just shredded him at this point, right? Based on what we just talked about. The heart of the commands. It's not just about external observance. It's about the heart behind the obedience. But he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't hammer this young ruler on those points. He goes straight instead to the root idol of his heart. Notice in, in verses 22 and 23 next, 
Fourthly, this morning, a deep disclosure. I don't want to just deal on this level, Jesus said. I want to, I want to, I want to go straight to the heart. A deep disclosure. By the way, I want, to, I want to read first before we read verses 22 and 23 from Luke 18. I want to read Mark 10, 21 because I want you to, want you to see this. In Mark's account, here's what it says. <clears throat> After the guy says he's kept all these commands since his youth, in Mark 10, 21, it says, And Jesus, looking at him, what does it say? Loved him. I don't want you to miss this. I mean, we're, we're giving this guy a hard time already, right? I mean, Jesus is fixing to, you know, make it plain. This guy's all, all, all out to lunch. I mean, he's just all in love with money and all that. But, but, but don't miss this. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Though Jesus already knew his heart. He already knew what he was going to choose. He's going to choose money over Jesus. Jesus truly loved this young man. Just like his heart is full of love for each and every one of us. And aren't you thankful for that? Can I just stop right here and say, church, I'm talking, I'm talking to believers this morning. How many of you have been the rich young ruler before? Raise your hand. I mean, I mean, unless it's not true. I mean, just let's just testify. Have you been the rich young ruler? Don't make me call you out by name. <laughs> have you been the rich young ruler? Raise your hand, say amen. Yes, we have. You see, this is the place where we can say, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. So when I ask those kind of questions, you can just do this. Like, you don't have to wait. He loved them. Don't miss that. Back to Luke. A deep disclosure, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, that is, hey, I've done all this since I was a kid, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely Rich. A deep disclosure. Jesus said, okay, so, so if you've really loved other people the way you say you have, remember, he, he's kept all those commandments from youth. He's never, hey, he's never, you know, he's never killed anybody, he's never committed adultery, he's never, he's never hurt anybody. He's never done anything to sin against other people. If you've really always loved others like you say you have since your youth, and if you really believe back to the good teacher deal, that I'm God incarnate. If you really believe I'm God's Messiah Savior, sent to give eternal life, if you really treasure me above all things, then you'll have no problem trusting and obeying me and selling all of your stuff and giving your money away to meet the needs of the poor. Part of the people that you say you've always loved and, and done right by in this world And then you'll come and follow me without anything in your hand. And you'll have me as life's treasure for both time and eternity. Now, does the young ruler at this point say, yes, Lord, of course. All that matters, Jesus, is you. Eternal riches are far more important and real and lasting and than all the earthly treasures I've got. Yes, Lord, today. I'll sell my stuff today. 
I'll divide it up before sunset, and I'll be at your place by dark. Is that what the rich young ruler says? Nope. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. In Mark 10, 22, the account there takes it a step further. He didn't just become sad. It says, disheartened by the saying, when he heard what Jesus said, he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He didn't just get sad and stand there. He left. He walked away from Jesus. He was done. His stuff was his real treasure, not eternal life, not Jesus. It says he was very sad. You see, he had a deadly sorrow, not a godly sorrow. That Paul talks about that leads us to repentance and turning away from sin, forsaking all things, all of our possessions, whatever God requires of us, and treasuring Jesus above all. What he revealed in the walking away is that he really only came to improve his own status and appearance. It was only a seeming sincerity. It was a selfish inquiry from the start. This young man certainly didn't want to go to hell. Who does? I mean, if you ever think about it, you ever met anybody that would look at you and say, you know what, I want to bust hell wide open. There's no way I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be in paradise forever. Nobody wants to go to hell. I wonder how many times we've coerced a conversion experience where someone ran, knelt down, and cried out, how do I miss hell? But they really weren't crying out, I need Jesus as my treasure above everything, and he's worth everything. Y'all all right? Do you understand the difference in those two situations? You see, if Jesus isn't the treasure, if just missing the hell's, missing hell's the point of your conversion experience, you may not have, you may not have got, gotten saved. You may not know God today. Hello? And all that may have happened is you talked like this man, but then you walked away. You left. This rich young man was convinced that he wasn't going to go to hell. I mean, he was good. He'd done all these commandments. He outwardly kept everything that God said to do. He, he was pretty comfortable about missing hell. What he really wanted was Jesus to endorse his good life and to congratulate him for his respectability among men and his external goodness in the community. What he really wanted to do is what we so often are tempted to do, and that is just add Jesus on. <laughs> just, just kind of put the cherry on top of our little kingdom we've built. Just have Jesus there in name. But you see, Jesus loved him too much not to deal with his heart and let him know where he truly stood. 
He loved him too much not to call him to a definitive decision between his stuff and Jesus. He loved him too much not to tell him the truth. Here's the thing. You don't get to just add Jesus on. He basically looks this guy in the face and says, who do you think you are? And who do you think you're talking to? I don't come to you on your terms. You come to me on my terms. And I'm God. And if you want me, you surrender all. You come to me as your only treasure. And if I say sell everything you've got, that's what you do. Now, here's the thing. Let me just go ahead and deal with this because somebody's going, you know, I can hear it now. God doesn't require all of us to sell everything we have, but here's the deal. What if he did? What if he asked you that? Would you? This is saving faith. Saving faith says, you know what? If God said sell it all and give it all away, then Jesus is worth that. And I'll pay that price to have Jesus. The point here, of course, is all the much less sacrifices, and of course in some places in the world much greater sacrifices, like your actual life, like you might die for loving Jesus and serving him, that Jesus does call all of us to make. Now, he won't call of us to die, all of us to die, he won't call of us, all of us to be in a situation where our life's on the line. But he will call us to die to ourselves. In fact, wow, I think he said something like that, didn't he? If you would follow me, then what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, which in other words is crucify yourself. Hang yourself on the cross every day. Die to yourself, die to your desires, die to your agenda. Follow me, do what I say to do. The same decision is one we must all make. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What's he talking about in context? You cannot serve God in what? Money. Do you know that Jesus taught more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined? Why? Because it's a thing in my heart. It's a big problem in all of our hearts. And the deal is we trust money for what only God should give us, security and hope and joy. You cannot serve God in money. And that's exactly the lesson that Jesus goes on to teach his hearers after the rich young ruler leaves. Look in verses 24 and 25. Fifthly, this morning, at the human impossibility of salvation for the rich. The human impossibility of salvation for the rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, and remember from the other gospel account, he had left, so he'd walked away, right? So he's gone. Jesus isn't talking to him, he's talking to those disciples we learned from other uh, gospels and, and, and perhaps others in the, in, in the crowd there. Seeing that he had become sad, he said, How difficult it is for those who have, have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 25 makes it clear what he's really saying. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, 
some have tried to explain this camel through the eye of a needle thing away. For a while, there was this whole thing about the needle gate in the wall of Jerusalem. And there's a tiny gate and camels, if they were, if you, if you really had control of your camel, you could get them to squat down and crawl through this gate. There's no gate. There's no needle gate. It's not a thing. I don't know where it came from. The point is exactly what you think it is. There are parallel accounts in, in I think it's Egyptian uh, history that talk about a elephant, the largest animal in, the, in that nation, fitting through the eye of an actual sewing needle. That is the picture. Just leave it alone. Don't try to get fancy and undo it. In Palestine, biggest animal is a camel. There it is. Jesus said, it's not just difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. It's impossible. I mean, I of course, I, mean, I have these with me wherever I go because I cannot see anything up close. <clears throat> just recently, my, I had a shirt. It had only been about six months that I'd had a button missing and continued to intend to, to sew that button on. And I had it hidden in my closet, and, and there it was. So finally I remembered I want to wear the shirt, so I get out and I start to try to sew. it. first time in, I mean, years. Uh, I try to start sewing a button. I, can't, I mean, I can't even get the thread through the eye of a needle. I made sure Bessie wasn't in the room, because she'd have way too much fun with that. I, I'm not kidding, like five minutes. I mean, I got my reading glasses on, I mean, I got, and I'm, you know, you know, licking the string, you know, won't go. A camel won't go. Everybody clear? It's impossible. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. This is, this is stout. It's not just difficult. Hey, if you're rich, you might can get yourself to heaven. Hey, if you're rich, it might be possible for you to get in the kingdom. Jesus said, you know what? It's impossible for the rich man to enter the kingdom. Why? Because you, you can't love God and money. And the bottom line is, the rich man, apart from Christ, apart from the saving work of God, apart from the divine intervention, you will love and worship your money, and you will go to hell. Man, that just got real, didn't it? Because you know as well as I do, that if you live in America, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. The human impossibility of the salvation of the rich. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction... For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. It's impossible for a rich man on his own, apart from God's action, to be saved. It's impossible. Period. Full stop. Now that rocked the disciples' world. Because in their day, much like in ours, they looked at rich people and said, you know what? That's God, God's blessed them. I mean, sound familiar? 
God's, God, God's blessed them. And so the idea was that the rich were favored by God. God had blessed them. And so the disciples hear this and they're like, what in the world? You just said that the rich, there's no way they're gonna, they, they can get in the kingdom. Like it's impossible for them to get into heaven. Then who can be saved? I mean, I mean, if they can't be saved, who can be saved? We've always thought that wealth was a sign of God's blessing on someone. Now, Jesus, you're telling us that, that all their money is actually the thing that's keeping them from God? Well, Jesus, if that's true, then, I mean, we just don't, we don't even have a paradigm for that. Like, our minds, we're, we're, we don't get it. So if the rich can't be saved, who can Verse 27 makes this clear. Number six, freedom from the love of money and treasuring Christ is a gift from God. Freedom from the love of money and the ability to treasure Jesus is a gift from God. Jesus said, but it says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I just want you to notice, Jesus does not say, oh, I didn't mean it was impossible. He doesn't like undo it. He makes it even clearer what he meant when he said, you can't get, a rich man can't get into heaven any, any more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Freedom from the love of money. Freedom to treasure Christ with all your heart is a gift from God. You say, God can save the rich. God must do the saving, by the way, not only for the rich, but for everyone. And by the way, did you know that you can love money and not be rich? Do you realize that if you're not the richest in the room, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're the, the, the least well-off financially in the county, do you realize that you can still love money? Can I tell you when I've struggled some of the, some of the most in my own heart, with, with coveting and, 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 and wanting things when I had nothing. Hello? When I didn't have enough to pay that next bill. Can I just say, I, I've been guilty of loving money right there. So, so just to clarify how this works, this is, this is a, I mean, Jesus is playing. He's talking to the rich young ruler. He's talking to the guy with money. But even if we don't have money, we can so love it that we want it so bad that that's all we really want in life is to have some more. Because we don't have. God can save the rich. God can save the poor. God can cause a money-loving heart, no matter whose it is, to treasure Jesus so fully and completely that, that a man will sell all he has if God asks him to. God can do that. What's impossible with man is possible for God. God can make our hearts to be so captivated by Jesus that we see how temporary this world and all its riches really are. And he can move us to spend our lives and even our wealth for the advance of the kingdom of God in this world, for the salvation of our neighbors and the nations who've yet to hear the gospel and come to trust and treasure Jesus. 
human impossibility of salvation for the rich. And yet, God in His power can give freedom from the love of money and give a heart to treasure Jesus above all things as a gift. He can, he can do the impossible. And if you're here and you know Him today, He's done it, amen? Okay, that, that was good, but I mean, it's just, that's, just, that's, that's a point worth uh, a little louder, please. He has done the impossible in your heart, has He not? Amen. He's done it in mine. So Peter is there. And he's starting to wrap his head around this thing. He doesn't have it all figured out yet. I mean, he's, he's still struggling. But he's beginning to wrap his head around this new way of thinking, this kingdom way of thinking about life. Jesus has just totally turned everything on, on its head, upside down. And he realizes, Peter does, so he's sitting there thinking about what Jesus is saying. He realizes, hey, us 12, we've left everything. I mean, we've left everything to follow Jesus. We just... We, just, we left our nets, we left our boats. We've left everything. So, that's good. I think, I think we're on the right track. Something's going right. And Hey, Jesus, verse 28, Hey, we've left homes and followed you. Jesus, we're there. We did that. That guy, he went away sad. He went away without you. He loved his stuff more than, his, than you. We're here. We're here, Jesus. And Jesus says, yep. So graciously. He encourages Peter and the other disciples. He said, yep. And let me encourage, let me tell you what your life and future and eternity looks like. Verses 29 and 30. The gain of the kingdom and salvation is worth any loss in life. That's what he's going to tell them. Listen to it. Verse 29. The gain of the kingdom. Salvation is worth any loss, so to speak, in life. And he said to them, truly I say to you. Yep, you're right, Peter. And truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You know what you get when you take God's grace? You know what you get when you are willing to, 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 to forsake everything else to have Jesus? You know when, what you get when you embrace Christ as your all so the all-surpassing treasure of your soul and of the universe? More of the treasure. More Him. More joy in Him. And Jesus said, whatever loss you incurred to follow me, you'll get many more times in this life and in the age to come. But we should probably read Mark 10, 29 to 31, just so we're not misled about what this looks like. Mark's account of the same passage. Truly I say to you, Jesus said. Remember, Peter said we left it all, Jesus. Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or, or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, listen, listen, with persecution. Mm. No amens there. That's an oh me. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus said, if, if, you, if you give up stuff to follow me, I will give you, I will reward you. In this life, I'll reward you. Now, it may be a life of persecution. That may be part of the deal. In fact, Paul said that if you, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. It's not even a question. James, Peter, all the letters make it plain that it's part of following Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is that God will bring us a joy and a satisfaction in living for Christ and advancing his kingdom in this world now that far surpasses the joys and pleasures money can give. There is joy in the journey with Jesus, amen? There's joy in the sacrifices you make for Jesus. There's joy in, in the forsaking of things in order to, to love God and love people and serve people. Is it always easy? No. Might you be persecuted? Yep. In fact, that's pretty likely in some shape, form, or fashion. We use that term loosely in America. We've not really ever seen any real persecution. We've got brothers and sisters this morning, today, across the world who are, whose lives are on the line. They, didn't, they weren't born into a, a, a democracy with freedom. They're in a place where they have to hide to worship. They're in a place where that next time they talk about Jesus to their neighbor could be the moment they're turned over to the authorities and executed. It's happening today, 2021. But so many of our brothers and sisters that, that die a martyr's death do it with joy in their heart. Why? Because God rewards their sacrifice. God gives them joy. God gives them peace. He gives them a certainty about where they're going in the moment of their death like we can't even imagine. And they're ready to see Jesus when they do. Even when we suffer for Jesus in the gospel, God will give us so much more real life in the middle of it all than that we'll still declare he's worth it all. And when we die or when Jesus returns and we see his face, the joy and eternal reward of his beauty will cause any earthly loss or sacrifice or pain or suffering to be gone, just forgotten. You know what you're not going to say when you see Jesus for the first time face to face? I'm not talking about by, by faith, by, but, in, but sight, when you're, when you're in his presence. You know what you're not going to say? Man. Good to see you, Jesus. But if I'd only been able to have that Ferrari before I died. If I could have only had that boat, before I died. It's great to see you, Lord. 
But if I could only had a million, then I'd have been ready to see you. What? You know what you're gonna. You know. You know what's gonna happen when we see his face. I. I, I mean, this is not what's gonna happen. Okay, but this is just the best way we can think because because we, we we can't even process, right? You know. You know all those questions we discussions we have. You know, what's heaven gonna be like? You know, I think it's gonna be okay. Here's the bottom line. Perfect and wonderful. That's all I know. You gonna fish in heaven? I don't know. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to have Jesus. Like, none of the questions we ask are going to matter, but like, in that moment, when I see Jesus, I'm going to realize that that Ferrari, that money, that house, that boat, that whatever, was less than nothing. I don't know that I'll think this because, again, it'll, it'll, it'll all be perfection. But if, if I think, if, if maybe, I may think, how stupid could I have been? You remember, remember when we were talking about uh, this, this money thing not too long back and we were talking about Monopoly? How many of y'all got a, a wad of Monopoly money in your, in your wallet today? None of you. Why? Because it's not real. That's how it's going to be when you get to heaven. All those Benjamins, paper, dust, useless. It's just for the game of life. And the game's over because you're in reality forever with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul says, that's why he talks like this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Paul was often persecuted. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. He said that of things like prison and, 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 and actually being beat with a whip. Um, shipwreck. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that stuff. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is, there is no comparison. Whatever the pain, it's light, it's momentary, but what it's working for us, the eternal reward, as we stay faithful to Jesus, as we treasure him above all, as we forsake everything else in this world to have and be faithful to and serve and advance his cause, it's working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, when we really when we realize how temporary this world and all this stuff really is, we'll start talking like Paul over in Philippians 3, 7-11. Also, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, literally, scandalon in the Greek. It means dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I count it all dung because nothing compares. Nothing compares to knowing him. 
Following Jesus means treasuring Him so supremely that you gladly surrender all you are and all you have to Him. Maybe you're here today and you need to follow Jesus for the first time. You need to trust Him for the first time. You need to look at your life and all that you have and say, you know what, here's what I know. I've got it all. Remember the man who almost had it all. I've got it all, but I don't have anything. Over the weekend, I, I spent just a few minutes with a couple guys. Let me just tell you the sad truth of their lives. They're millionaires many times over. And they have it all, but they are men who almost have it all. Because while they have it all, they have nothing. They don't know Christ. They're empty. You know what they've got? They've got the desire to have more hoping that more will be enough, but it's never enough. It's never enough. And I looked into the eyes of these two men. I got to spend part of the evening with both of them. I looked into the eyes of these two men. And I thought, how tragic. Been studying this passage all week. And Friday night, I'm looking at these two men thinking, these two men, they're the rich young ruler. And if I don't watch my own heart, so am I. So will I be. Remember Jack Lucas? Remember Jack? Freshman in high school, Medal of Honor winner. Even at 14, Jack understood the value and the cost of the freedom we enjoy in America. And to Jack, it was worth risking and suffering in battle. So here's the question, church, for us. Is the kingdom of God, is Jesus himself, and the eternal freedom that he gives Worth counting everything else dung so that you may know him and make him known the world over. Is he worth it? Is Jesus worth you changing how you relate to your money and your stuff? And in turn, the poor and needy, especially the unreached of the world, so that people see in your life the unsurpassed beauty and everlasting glory of God's grace in Jesus. Because they look at your life and they see that while you have money, you do something with your money that makes no sense in the world. You take your stuff and you leverage it for the gospel. You spend your life, you, you, you reorder your life. You, you, you retire early so while you still got energy, you can go take the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. Young person, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You go to college and, 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 and you choose that career. Who knows? Let's just say in engineering or, or in, in nursing. But, but what, you, what you do with that is you say, you know what? I'm aiming that thing to the nations. I want to go be an engineer in the Middle East where people need to hear about Jesus, but missionaries don't get to go. But I can go because I'm an engineer and they'll let me in. And I'll tell them about Jesus. Slowly, it'll take a while. Is Jesus valuable enough for him to redirect your life 
to serve the cause of the Great Commission around the world, either as a sender or as a goer. You see, here's the deal. Following Jesus means treasuring Him so supremely that you gladly surrender all you are and all you have to Him. There's no other way to follow Him. Let's pray. Father, even now, as we come to the Lord's table, I pray that you would search our hearts. We don't want to be the man who almost had it all. We want you, Jesus. And we want to really follow you. We don't want to just fake it. We just don't want to have it on, the, on our tongues, but not in reality. We want to treasure you so supremely that you've got it all. All our stuff, all our money, all of our lives. And so, Father, we pray that this table this morning would be about renewing our hearts to treasure Jesus supremely. That this table this morning would be about counting everything else in life as loss and even dung by comparison to Jesus. We pray that this table this morning will be about recommitting all that we are to the advance of your kingdom in this world, for there's nothing else worth living for. And so, Father, even now, search our hearts. Your word tells us that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. You warn us through Paul to let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And you even tell us there that many in Corinth were weak and sick and some had even died because they play games at the Lord's Supper. Lord, we cannot be worthy of your sacrifice, but we can come to this table in a manner that's worthy of your sacrifice. We can come trusting in nothing but you, Lord Jesus, your broken body, your shed blood, for all the righteousness, redemption, and salvation that we need before holy God. So may we, may we, may we come that way today. May only those of us who truly trust Jesus come. And for your people, may we right now turn from idols if there's any that's, that we've erected in our hearts. Or if there's anything we're worshiping or loving more than you in this moment, may we repent of that right now. Thank you for the gift of repentance that we can turn from these things. We can confess it. We can know of your grace. And treasure Christ above all again. So search us now, we pray. Prepare us to come and feed our hearts on God's grace in Jesus. To renew our surrender to Jesus as our Lord. To treasure Jesus so much that every other treasure becomes worthless by comparison. For they are. Meet us now, we pray. Change us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us that, on, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke that bread and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the early church, every week, and perhaps even more than that, every time they would gather, they would, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And, and in, the, in, the, in the eating and drinking, they would be proclaiming the gospel. They would, in effect, be saying, Jesus' broken body was the, was the required sacrifice for our sins. His shed blood was the death necessary for my salvation. And just as we depend on food and drink to sustain our bodies, the picture of the Lord's Supper is Jesus' body is true food. Jesus' blood, he would say in John 6, is true drink. If we don't depend on the finished work of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection, then we have no hope for eternity with God. We have no hope for forgiveness. We have no hope for salvation before Him. But in Christ... The Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, we have salvation. And so when we come and eat this bread, there's no magic in the bread, there's no magic in the grape juice. It's a picture of what has happened in our hearts as believers. We have fed on Christ. We have believed God that He is the only soul-sustaining, soul-saving sacrifice, meal that we can eat with our hearts, if you will. And we come to feed on Him again. We say to anybody in the room who doesn't know Jesus, we're we're saying to you in our eating and in our drinking, nothing will save but Christ. And we're reminding ourselves of that. And we're reminding ourselves that the only thing worth living for is Christ. We're reminding ourselves if Jesus did this for us, How can we keep our lives for ourselves? Jesus said, you can't. You'll lose your life if you try to keep it. If Jesus did this for us, then we must give ourselves. And so we come not only remembering and worshiping and praising him for his grace, but freshly surrendering and consecrating ourselves to him, saying, here's a jar of clay. Take your treasure and spread the treasure through me. So I invite you this morning as the worship team sings and leads us in worship to come to the table. We'll start over here. And if you're joining us for the first time, what we're going to do is we're just going to make a line. We're going to kind of start with this section and then this section. Just come up and, and pick up a, a, a little packet here. Uh, in the top of this, if you're with us for the first time, two layers. Make sure you get the clear layer and get the bread out first. Don't do the bottom layer. You'll have grape juice all over your, your clothes. Uh, so one layer at a time. And, and everything's in there. If you need a gluten-free option, there's a few crackers right there for the, those with any kind of gluten allergies. So come to the table and worship the Lord Jesus today. Please. 
all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Worship team, you come onto the table. We appreciate the way you service and worship. It's good to see everybody up there today. Again, thank you all for joining us this morning. Uh, if you're new here to East LJ Baptist Church, we want to get to know you. Uh, if you would, join us out. We've got a table out here. Uh, we'd love to find out who you are, get some more information, and, and uh, love to get connected with you and learn how to get connected into our church here. So uh, first up this week, uh, Ladies Bible Study uh, entitled The Voice of God by Priscilla Schreier. Uh, they meet Monday evenings uh, from 537 uh, here inside the church. So again, it's a ladies Bible study uh, every Monday from 530 to 7. Uh, tonight is our Cry Out to Jesus prayer service. Uh, it's every Sunday night starting at 6 p.m. Uh, it's every week. Uh, there's no more Braves, so that's not an excuse anymore. So try something else. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you here tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, what a way that we can get together, uh, pray for our community, pray for our world, pray for each other. Um, that we can uh, be the change that we need to be in our community. Uh, chapter 8, Youth and Seeds Kids. Uh, that's every Wednesday night uh, starting at 6.30. Uh, cool thing is starting at 6, you can come join us for some pizza. Uh, we have a time of uh, fellowship. Kids get to play and eat and get a good meal uh, before, um, uh, before they get to started with the youth and the uh, kids programs. Uh, See Yourself Bible Study is also at 6.30 on uh, Wednesday nights. And Larry, uh, Larry Mullinax's adult Bible study is also 6.30 uh, Wednesday night. So whether you have little ones or whether you don't, come join us Wednesday night because we'd love to see you. Uh, there's leadership meeting this Wednesday night, 7.45. Um, and next Sunday, uh, November 14th from 4 to 6, there's going to be discipleship group training. Uh, but it's for all who are interested in uh, serving with uh, youth discipleship groups. Um, and anybody's encouraged to attend. Um, finally, uh, CLC Thanksgiving Food Drive uh, for the Mountain Education Charter High School is November 1st through 15th. Uh, so there is a flyer, I think maybe out in the foyer, uh, with suggested items to donate uh, and, where you, and where and when you can drop those off. So again, that's for the CLC Thanksgiving Food Drive. So uh, now I'll turn it over to Jim. Uh, uh, for uh, the Gideons. Thank you. 
Those of you who were with us last Sunday know that we're celebrating Jesus' birth by making Bibles available to people all across the earth. And uh, I also announced that I'm going to be going to Cote d'Ivoire. I'm leaving the 18th of this month, be there for a week, and most of what I, the time will be spent handing out scriptures to school kids. What a delight that will be. So you have the opportunity to participate in this by buying Bibles. Now you'll find in the pew in front of you an envelope like this. Inside there's a, an ornament that you can use to remind you to pray for those who will receive Bibles, and you can make a donation. The average cost of a Bible distributed by the Gideons, free of charge, through the generosity of yourselves and others is just $1.20. So I encourage you, if you just put $1.20 in this envelope, someone will receive a Bible, someone who otherwise wouldn't get one. So I encourage you to do that, and if you're wealthy like the man that we heard about today in the sermon, you might want to put in a check for $120 to buy a case of Bibles. Let the Lord guide you as you give. And I thank you very much. I covet your prayers. Uh, remember, I leave on the uh, 18th of November, less than two weeks away. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be talking about this journey when I get back. I don't have a clue what I'm going to say because it hasn't happened yet. But when I get back on December 4th, uh, you can come and hear about the adventures in Cor Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, Saturday, December 4th, at First Baptist Church, beginning at 6.30, we'll have a dinner meeting and a slideshow, and we'll see what God does at that time. Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you, Jim. It's good to see Brother Frank back this morning. Would you pray for Jim's trip, and then just dismiss us in prayer this morning.